Welcome to today's NCMI podcast. Steve Wimble, who leads City Hill Church in KZN, South Africa, has an incredible story of healing. After tremendously difficult health challenges that landed him in hospital, Steve went on a journey of understanding himself and how we should attend to our emotional health. In today's podcast, Steve shares his story. This is an incredibly important topic and we're sure you will find it challenging and very encouraging. Good evening, everybody. It's great to be with you on this Thursday evening. I've been asked to speak on a subject that's really part of my story and part of my journey, and so I'd like to share some of that story tonight. But uh, as Josh mentioned, I'm married to Jax. We celebrate our 20-year anniversary this year in May. We've, we've got two boys, 17 and 6 foot 4, grade 12, 15 and about that high, grade 10, and a little girl about that high. She is turning 9 next week and is having almost sleepless nights from excitement about her, her birthday party coming up. She's in grade two, by the way. Her name is Trinity. And it really is good to be with you tonight. Wonderful to be able to partner together, churches around this nation, around the world, really with the same aim of seeing God's kingdom come, his will be done here on earth. Imagine what a party it's going to be in heaven one day around the throne with all the impact of all of our best efforts, labors, faith, and his amazing grace here on earth. I'm getting a little bit of boom uh, at a sound point of view. I'm sure you guys are working on it, but if I get excited, that might get a little bit worse. I was born into a Christian family, oldest of five children, been involved in church my whole life. Very grateful to God for that. When I finished school, I did an intern year at what is now One Life Church in Maritzburg, helping out with the youth. My plan after that was to go and study elsewhere. I wanted to go anywhere but Maritzburg, actually, that was my aim. And during that year, through a series of remarkable ways, God spoke to me and guided me, and an invitation was put to me to lead the youth group of that church. During that year, when I was 18 years old, there was a major direction shift for me. I was gung-ho about leadership. Um, Jax joined the youth. Soon after, I made the decision to stick around. And so that was a great decision as well. We got married, uh, well, we started dating after she had finished school. And I came, I studied a commerce degree at university, but I also came onto our church staff. And at that time, had a God-given dream. I felt it was from God that we would one day either plant or transition or lead a, a local church. And so that was what I was building towards. I was given lots of opportunity and to, in various leadership aspects in our church we had both boys born, and then when I was 26 years old, had catastrophic health hit me. I overnight went from being full of energy, buzz up and ready to go, to experiencing very chronic arthritis. It wasn't properly diagnosed, and all I knew is that my joints through the day got more and more sore. I was fatigued. And it got so bad that after a month or two like this, in the middle of the night one night, I got up to go to the toilet and it, my feet were so painful as I stepped out of bed. I had the shock of pain go through my body. By the time I climbed back into bed, I was physically shaking from the extreme pain I was in with tears creaking out of my eyes thinking, I've, there's got to be a name for this. My dad was very concerned about me. 
took me to a, a specialist that he had been seeing for some other things. As I walked through the door, this lady gave a name. She said, I think that what you've got is this, but let's sit and chat. She, for 45 minutes, explored all of my symptoms, and at the end, basically said, you've got a autoimmune, an autoimmune disease. I was so, I, I had two emotions at me at once. I was so grateful that what I had had a name because I felt like I was losing my mind with all of this pain and difficulty. Then I said to her, so what, what do you do? How do you cure this? She says, no, I don't think you understand. This is incurable. Basically, the soldiers in your system are fighting against your healthy, uh, they, they are um, attacking your healthy cells. That's what's causing this inflammation, this chronic fatigue. She says, we can manage your symptoms, but you'll, have, you'll live with this for the rest of your life. I remember driving home feeling very vulnerable, very emotional, grateful that I wasn't just losing my mind, but uncertain what the future held. The next three months, I got worse before I started getting better. For most of those three months, I was bedridden. Our little baby, Ethan, well, Ethan is a big boy now. He was back then, he'd just been born. Speak, Lord, your servant's listening. <laughs> Went from being high energy, front-footed, doing all the stuff that I was doing, to pretty much lying most of the hours of a day and night in my bedroom. The noise of the family was too much for me. Jax, just, she was immense through all of that time, just picked up all the extra load. One of my symptoms was a low-grade fever. If you've ever had flu, bad flu, and you just think, I just need to lie in bed for two or three days till it passes, it was like that every single day. As soon as I got up, I'd have this pulsing fever just to go and make a sandwich, climb back into bed again. Uh, I, I was so weak, actually, from all of this stuff. We, went, we were given a week away on holiday. I was, yo, it was a low point for me. I couldn't even lift the bags out of the car. Had to go and sit in the lounge and ask my wife to go and take the bags out of the car. Felt useless. Praying for a miracle. And for the next six years, my life was essentially just managing the symptoms of all of this. There's, there's happy news, and it's some of the lessons that I learned. That's where I'm going. But I, I want you to know where the lessons were crafted, because that, I've been asked to speak around health the health of a leader. Hopefully all of us are leading something somewhere, even if it's just yourself. Over six years, everything that required extra energy, I had to say no to. I was at about 70% of my previous strength, I would say. I was still preaching. Grant felt he had a word from God that I still needed to preach because that was part of my gift mix. But it was, it was tough. I would go to church as late as possible stand during the worship, get up, preach my heart out. But as I closed in prayer, I could feel this pulsing fever. I would hand back to the host of the meeting and walk out of a side door and go home and climb back into bed. It felt like there was a tunnel with no light in it. I would wake up in the mornings and think, I've got another day just to feel lousy, just like yesterday, just like last year. And I, I prayed, God, if this surely can't be what life's about. I, I can't try bargaining with God. God, surely I'm worth more to you with energy than like this. Whew, just silence. 
but not a harsh silence, just a, like a nothing. Like I knew God was there and he loved me and he cared for me, but silence around these symptoms that I was experiencing. If there was prayer for healing at church, I went forward, I was there, and I experienced no healing. About five years into that journey, we were on holiday and I felt God speak to me in my heart. And so I'm going to open a door for you to leave One Life Church and go somewhere else. A new leadership project for you. The old me was gung-ho, keen, eager. The beaten down me, my first response was, God, I don't think I can do anything more unless you heal me. And I just felt God say to me, that's not faith. Faith is saying yes to whatever I tell you to do, you leave everything else up to me. And it was a very, you remember Moses, if you've read the beginning of Exodus, he goes from being this arrogant guy who thinks he can solve the problems of the nation to being a shepherd looking after some sheep and God calls him and he says, I don't think I can do it. I was that guy, but in my early 30s. I said, God, I don't think I can do it. But it's a, it's a whispered yes. I told only Jax, but nobody else about that conversation. I felt like Joseph in that jail cell, he was there and he couldn't get out, but he had a dream when he was younger and he didn't know what the future held and that was me in that uh, zone. Slowly started talking to some guys. Grant Crawford was our lead elder and I was on his team and he had been so gracious to me over all of that time. So now six months after I have this, what I feel is a word from God, I go and talk to him. And those who know Grant well, he is the most enthusiastic, faithful, charge the mountain guy that I know. He is he's just, it's always yes, not how much, how much more is kind of his question all the time. So I go and sit down with him and I tell him, this is what I felt God said to me six months ago. And, and his response, sitting on his veranda is, <laughs> he says, you've been sick, eh, the last six years. But if you think you're up for it, then I'll back you. But it was like, a, that was the tone of the conversation. So I left feeling actually quite pumped. I knew how sick I was. I didn't think I was up for anything, but he hadn't said an absolute, that's rubbish. So I get home, I tell Jax the conversation, she's devastated. I'm so pumped that he didn't say no. She says, but he didn't give you like his full normal grant backing. I said, would you have? I, you know, I know where I'm at. A series of conversations start, and I end up speaking to friends of ours, Peter and Karen Rasmussen, who uh, were leading a church in Hillcrest, City Hill Church. And in the January of 2012, seated at a coffee shop in Hillcrest, Peter says to me, seven years ago, we felt that you would be the couple to come take over the leadership of this church from us. In the meantime, I'd got sick. So I'm sitting there still sick, but with this unbelievable opportunity that's being offered, this door, and I, I don't know what to think. I, I was stunned. Separate to that, I'd, the previous week visited a lady in Hillcrest who does this live, did this live blood analysis. So I'm trying to just get a little bit more energy. And I walk in there the previous week with my whole, all my pills that I'm taking, handfuls every single day. And she looks at my blood on the um, screen and she says, man, she can see you're a very sick person, which confirmed what I was feeling. I have this meeting at, say it was 10 o'clock in the morning with Peter. I drive from there to 
this appointment with her with my mind reeling. She takes another drop of my blood, puts it on the screen, and for about 10 minutes asks me a series of questions. What's happened to you? What's been going on? Has anything changed? What did you do this last week? And I'm thinking, apart from this last one hour, everything else is the same. Eventually I say, what are you seeing? She says, in your blood, it's, it's as if that was blood taken from a different person. You've experienced a, a healing of sorts. Are you spiritual? Yes, I'm a pastor. So okay, then you believe in this stuff. I think you've had a divine healing. You must come off your meds. But she's not a medical doctor. So I wasn't clapping at all. I, I, like, I've, I told her, I try to come off, I try to reduce one of those five pills that I take daily, one by like a quarter uh, of a dose every second day, and I've relapsed. She says, are you a man of fear or a man of faith? I resented her. And over the next 12 weeks, I, I come off all of my meds. I did it. I went to the doctor and we, we experimented, came off. I'd experienced this miraculous healing. We moved to Hillcrest. We're now in the process of taking over the leadership of this church. It's all this dream. It just, blah, 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 blah. But it's stressful and it's all over the place. One year after we arrive in Hillcrest, well, nine months afterwards, I start having these weird feeling just ill, but different, not the other illness, just like a bit fluey, but every day I'm a bit weak, and I'm thinking, well, that's natural. I'm under major stress. We've done this move. After three months of feeling like that, because I was really stubborn, I agreed to go to the doctor, and the next morning, my blood results come back. The doctor finds Jack. She says, you better get him to the hospital right now. He's in severe danger. So I go and sit at the hospital, and oh, it was a crazy day. What had happened, we found out later, is that the same disease had, I'd had a flare, but it had attacked different parts of my body. My white blood cells were nearly wiped out. That's why I was in such danger. 90% of my white blood cells had been wiped out by my own body. My kidneys had been attacked by my immune system. For nine days, I'm in an isolation ward. Sure. Only the doctor, nurse, my wife, and a cleaner allowed through the door of that ward, and they've got to scrub up where masks before masks became a thing, and it was, I'm weak, I'm sick, and every day I think it's my job that's killing me. I'm in the wrong job. And I asked the doctor, who was a Hindu doctor, every afternoon I said, doctor, do you think I should change my job? Because I'm thinking I had six years of sickness, and then I had one year of healing, and now I'm sick again. My, my body's killing me. It's fighting me. I don't know. I don't know. Where, I, I was, I thought I was desperate previously in those six years. This was a new depth of desperation. I was desperate. And what sparked, what happened, I didn't feel like God changed his call on my life. But I walked out of that hospital so frustrated, wanting to be a dad for my boys, wanting to be a better husband for my wife, but sick feeling like my whole system was letting me down. And I'm going to, I will read a Bible verse in a moment, but what I set out to do is I, I, it's like, God, I've served you my whole life. And I thought I was doing things right, but something feels misaligned in my system. And I don't know what it is because in my head it all, it seems right. And I, I embarked on a journey over the next couple of years of like testing and, and revisiting every building block related to health that I could think of. I engaged with other people. One day I'm sitting, I'm on this journey, I'm, I'm watching Novak Djokovic play tennis. I think I've got a picture of him there on my notes. And I was on holiday, I'm watching Wimbledon, and he's playing, and the camera goes onto his box in the corner. I'm just checking my time here. And the commentator says, that's Novak's T. 
team and starts listing, he's got a head coach, he's got a physio, he's got a dietitian, he's got a this and a that, about six people who were being paid by Novak to keep him at number one in the world. And I think to myself, he's got, his job is knocking tennis balls around, he's got six experts to help him. Our job as leaders in local churches, whatever, that's much more important. It's a matter of life and death eternally. I need expert help. I went and found an executive coach who was in our church. I sat with him. I said, Could, I want to spend time. Help me. I went and visited that lady who did the blood regularly. Went and visited our doctor. Took all my blood results. Said, please explain to me. Help me understand. I'd like us tapping on everything. And felt that I learned so many important lessons let me just jump to now, 10 years, nine years later, I'm in better health than I've ever been. I'm running a life full of energy, but it's feeling much more fulfilled. The quality of my relationships is different. The quality of my leadership, I believe, is different. That's from um, passing on what Jackie has told me about myself. Turns out I wasn't doing that well on a few of those things back then. I was too driven, too arrogant, too of so many other things, and I just didn't realize all of those things. And God's done a very deep work of helping me understand. So this is a summary of some of my journey. With that executive coach, he gives me an article to read. And I read through it, and these guys had done research on energy and productivity in businesses um, all over the world. And their thesis was that there are four main energy centers that every one of us have. If you're taking notes, this is what they said. They said you've got physical energy, mental energy, emotional energy, and they used a different word for it, but the idea was spiritual energy. And this idea really gripped me because I thought I've just viewed energy as one big bucket, but actually if I look at those four buckets, my spiritual bucket had been the one that had been keeping me going, but the other buckets is where, where I was experiencing my pain. What's interesting is that Jesus, when he speaks about the way that you should love the Lord your God, the greatest commandment, he said, love the Lord your God with all your soul, heart, strength, and mind. And those four line up quite um, well with that article that those guys wrote. They discovered what Jesus was speaking about. Your heart is your spiritual energy, soul, emotional, mind, mental, strength, physical, if you'll allow me a little bit of license there. For a year, I tracked those, if you could put those four energy buckets up again. I was so desperate. I was willing to do just about anything. I drew up an Excel spreadsheet because my mind is wired in these columns. I, it's just one of those things. And every single morning I wake up and I ask myself about 25 questions, linked a few questions for each bucket. How did I slept? How did I eat and drank, etc. all the way down? And, tr- and gave myself a score out of 10. I devised this whole system of analyzing Steve Wimble because Steve was broken, but I didn't know where. And it turns out it wasn't a whole lot of big things. It was a couple of little things, but with a lot of stress and a lot of load on my system, it was, I was giving way. Now, here is, so if you jump onto the next slide, please. Is that my mic making that? Or is it just something else happening? Is there anything I can change? I'm good. Okay, as long as it's not my fault. So let's say I'm just using this up, I'm putting up some numbers here. Let's say that your spiritual energy is at 70%, but your emotional energy is at 20%. You're not going to be much good in the world. If your emotional bucket's sitting low, even if your mental energy is up, 
and physical not. Often these four buckets actually sit at similar percentages because we're so beautifully made. Now, here is something that I had neglected. It's basic, simple maths regarding your energy and your internal health. But this is something I'd, ne I'd neglected to understand, is that every bucket is designed by God to have through flow, to put it in a very simple picture term. And I'm, I'm focusing on the emotional energy bucket tonight, but what I'm saying could be taken across all of them. Every one of those four energy centers is designed to have an outflow. That's a give. We design to be active, to be productive in the world. There are things that draw, some things draw more emotional energy out of you, others draw less. It's different for every one of us. If we are not inflowing into the buckets at a rate greater than the outflow, you'll end up in deficit. Makes such sense when it's up on the screen. And yet my consistent pattern had been to ignore some of my signals when my buckets were low. This was one of my great learnings. On your emotional bucket, by the way, we were designed to live, if you could go to the next slide, in the 70 to 100% zone. Where there's 100% A, after you've had a couple of weeks of holiday away from all dah, buckets, totally full, there's some give, but there's things that fill the bucket, things that empty, but if you dip below about 70% on your emotional energy, you're in the next zone down, which is the danger zone. Every single one of us are wired by God that even when we get to 70%, there's little um, warning lights on the dashboard of our lives. Little things that let us know the bucket needs topping up. It's God's gift to you and I, these warning lights. Again, because of faulty thinking, I ignored some of the lights on some of the buckets for longer than I should have and ended up in major deficit, which ended up with a health symptom. But my major problems actually were in the mental and emotional energy buckets. My, my physical bucket was the final one to give up. Some of the lights on the dashboard of my life, so when, my, sorry, I'm jumping ahead of my notes here, coming back. If you drop below 40%, you get into the burnout zone. If you're in the danger zone and you act quickly, you can still replenish without too much damage. But if you live in the burnout zone for long enough, God's got a cutout system that exists in, in our bodies. It's like running your car without oil for a long enough time. Eventually that engine seizes up and it's, it's a God-given cutout system in our bodies for abusing it. You can, and what I did when I dropped down into that zone is I blamed everybody around me in my mind, in my heart. Like, well, if if our church wasn't so busy, and if I hadn't have done that, and if it wasn't like that, if it wasn't, but actually the major, it's my buckets and it's my life, it's my responsibility to keep them topped up. There's nobody else in the world. It's my responsibility. What I've come to realize is that I need to understand what the lights are at the top of the bucket to avoid the, the big sirens at the bottom of the bucket. And these are some of my lights. What about yours? When my emotional bucket starts when I'm outflowing more than inflowing, I lose graciousness for other people. I get defensive, if not externally, internally. I have arguments in my mind with other people. Like somebody criticizes me, even via another channel, and, and the rest of the day I'm like, ah, if I could just have a word with them. Oh, da, 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 da. It's not such a good sign. I feel overwhelmed. Like, oh, I've just got too much, too much, too much. And if I think that thought too often, 
my bucket's, em- my bucket's emptying. And often when my bucket's empty, I just feel a general lack of joy. Like, ah, what's the point of all of this? Those are little warning lights to, f- to get the bucket filled up again. I realized as well that my processing in my world, my processing of emotions was my weakest area in that health. Somewhere along the line, I had made little micro decisions and some big ones in my head and in my heart that emotions were bad. Whereas the correct way to view them is that they're God-given. They give us the technicolor in our lives. They shouldn't lead all of our decisions, but they certainly bring a whole lot of the joy and the energy into our world. And so this was all part of the unpacking that I was doing with other people. And by the way, even though I'm living in what I think is great health, I still see some of those experts because it's good for me. I want to stay in a healthy place. Let me tell you what some of my learnings were from that year of analyzing me. These were the things that had the biggest impact on my emotional health bucket. I'm making sure it was, have you got another mic for me? Cool, thanks, Josh. Josh says it's this, not the speaker, that speaker. <laughs> I was bleeding emotional energy there, Josh. Tell you, the guys that work the production in any church, it's like, that's, that is a bucket emptier on a lot of Sundays, hey? Whew. So thank you, you guys are awesome. Um, number one factor in emotional energy, sleep. I'm presuming you've got a good relationship with God, by the way. Like if, but number one factor in keeping that emotional bucket top, up more than down, sleep. What was interesting, I've, I've started now, I'm open more to the, some of these discussions that previously I was just like, ah, just have a better quiet time, serve God, everything's going to be okay. There was some faulty thinking with that because I wasn't serving God with all of my emotion, all of my energies. The, the studies that have been done on physical health used to think that, there, that your physical health rested on a tripod of food, exercise, and sleep. But as they've studied humans more, they realize that actually there's one thing that far outweighs the the other two, and that sleep is much more important than food and exercise in your health. There are world experts, I mean, who spent, who are paid, their lifetime work is to help athletes to peak performance, and they talk to athletes about how to sleep better. They reckon you want to perform best on match day, get an extra hour's sleep the night before. What I did is if I had a little bit of extra work, or it was match day, I worked a bit harder the night before. Ah, you can sleep when you're dead, I heard people joke. Yeah, you'll be dead a lot quicker if you don't sleep. In vain you rise early, the Bible says, and stay up late toiling for food to eat because he gives sleep to those he loves. One of the things that happened when I got sick is my rhythm got switched around. I couldn't sleep at night and I couldn't stay awake during the day. I suffered severe insomnia, hours and hours and hours awake every night. And I think of this first, well, God doesn't love me, but it's not saying that. I believe it's saying this, that when I understand the rhythm that God's put in place for me, out of love, I will sleep when I'm meant to sleep and not be awake when I'm meant to be sleeping. Sleep is a gift. It's designed for my health. When I sleep, my emotional bucket fills up all by itself. The second big deal that I discovered is my weekly working rhythm. 
I could, this one I could talk about for hours because I spent so much time thinking. I'm on a journey, by the way. I haven't figured it out. But when God made the world, he worked for six days and rested one. He didn't rest that one because he was tired. He rested it to make a pattern that then becomes the law. He says, my people, the nation of Israel, you work six days, you rest one. In the New Testament, it's not so clear about this law of taking a Sabbath. And so under grace, what Steve Wimble was doing is like, ah, you're serving Jesus, he worked, da-da-da, et cetera, et cetera. And I would very often work six and a half or seven days a week. I was doing it out of what I thought was a good heart, and, but God didn't need my good heart. And then we follow some of his rhythms. When the people of Israel went out to collect manna, I had a profound revelation from that chapter. They were told to collect manna for six days, but there was food there for seven when they went out to collect on the seventh day, God was angry with them basically because they had a lack of faith. And I started to realize that my overwork as a pastor was because there was unbelief in my heart. If you truly believe God's building the church, then I should be able to rest one day a week, not reply to messages, not reply to emails, not just f- create the structure to take one seventh of my week as a week's rest. I know it's complicated for guys that are bivocational, But there's a rhythm here that I was tampering with more often than not, and I suffered the consequences. My emotional bucket started to deplete. That Sabbath day was there to help fill the emotional bucket, fill all the buckets, by the way. I'm going to move on. I've got lots more to say about that one, but I want to give some of the others as well. The third big takeaway for me on my journey was to understand myself better. I thought I had a pretty good handle on who I was. I hadn't suffered that much trauma as a kid. I had these loving parents, a great family. I thought I was okay. But there was so much about my wiring that I could still learn about. As I engaged with a whole lot of other people who are experts in these fields, I started to use different tools. One of them was the Myers-Briggs personality profile. Anyone who studied psychology has probably come across that. Enneagram, Strengths Finder, and one or two others. Now, what I've observed is that some people use tools like this. That there's two bad extremes. The one is like, ah, that stuff's all from the devil. No one here thinks that, but like, ah, man, a lot of gobbledygook. Then on the other extreme are people who use tools like this, but they become an absolute box. They're like, well, I'm just this kind of person, so don't ever do that, 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 or the next. This, this is just me. It like becomes a jail cell rather than a springboard. No tool can fully explain how awesome you are. No tool can explain how amazingly you and I are wired, but all of these tools are people who spend, I mean, thousands of hours studying human behavior and seeing these actually differences. And one of the biggest helps of these tools was to understand how differently I am wired to other people, including my amazing wife. You see, all of us are born, as we grow up, we have this view of the world as everybody's like me. And if they would just act a bit more like this, well, I don't know, why do they do that stuff? Like that makes no sense. But what you're saying is it makes no sense to you. And then you find a verse in the Bible to back your wiring and you preach that verse hard to yourself. And now that becomes your view of the world. And then you realize actually God has wired all of us so uniquely and all of that is also in the Bible. Romans 12, six to eight different gifts and different proportions to different people. 
And this has been a huge journey. Jackson and I have engaged with each other. In our marriage, it's helped us understand each other better. I'm wired a certain way, she's wired differently. Not worse, not better, just different. But when our strengths are misapplied, they become our weaknesses. Our strengths have got a sunny side and a shadow side. And when the sunny side faces the world, that's me at my best. But a lot of our strengths have got the shadow side that creep in and that's not good for us. And so I am on a journey to glorify God by trying to understand me a little better without becoming all introspective. And the reason for all of this, remember, is to become more effective for his kingdom, not less effective. He's my manufacturer. He's wired me in a certain way. I'm also talking to him a lot about how he's made me. The fourth and final thing that I'd like to mention, there are many more, but the fourth and final thing I'd like to mention today is two, is we need to identify misaligned beliefs. Another way of saying that would be to find the truth gaps in our world. And I'll explain what I mean. Let's say that this circle represents everything that God believes about you. We could call that absolute truth. Then let's say the second circle represents your truth, what you believe about yourself. Not one of us fully sees ourselves the way God sees us. We're on a journey. We're, in our humanity, we've all got misaligned beliefs. Now, in those three circles, in those two circles, there's three sections. The number one section is what you and God agree about. God knows it and you believe it. That's been revelation. And all of us could probably mention things that God showed me this, God showed me that I believe it, it's in me. The part two of God's circle is stuff that God knows about me that I don't yet have as revelation about myself. That might be about identity, about your purpose, about your giftings, about the whole lot of things that's in that circle. But the circle number three are things that you believe that God doesn't believe. Those are, let's be kind, we call them truth gaps. Another word of saying that they're lies you and I believe about ourselves that God doesn't believe. And these lies can range from what seem like big to seem like quite small lies, but it was in this, in number three, that I was, I was living in truth gap. Let me give you one example. One morning, I wake up just in that like 20 minutes before I came fully awake, I felt like God challenged me, not through a dream, but in this voice in my soul, it felt like. And I woke up, it was so strong and so corrective, I woke up sobbing. The day before, I'd spent some time with that man who's the executive coach, and he'd shared a story about himself, and God used that to springboard a truth into my life to show me a problem in my number three circle. And this was what I felt God say to me. I still feel tender now because it was such a strong rebuke. I felt him say to me, Steve, you're a workaholic. But your whole life, you've hidden that tendency. You've observed other loud, noisy workaholics if people struggle with alcoholism, sometimes people with alcohol issues get loud and noisy, but others are closet alcoholics. And I felt God say to me, you've been seriously critical of the noisy workaholics. They're easy to spot, but you've been a closet workaholic. 
and you found your identity and your work more than you found it in me. And you think you're doing it for me, but you're not. You're doing it for yourself. It's idolatry. It was so strong. I woke up sobbing in repentance. Jackie woke up like with a fright. What's wrong? Has somebody died? It was like that. This is after seven years of ill health. I still hadn't figured it out. But as I started to open my world to God to come and please anything in circle three, I've got to change. I want my circles to be more closely aligned with your circle. But the problem with this particular revelation is I had to get up and go to work that day. If you're quitting alcohol, and I celebrate anybody who does, who's on a journey of sobriety, but you don't touch another drop, but with work, you've got to keep working. And I went on this journey. I went and got some help. Spoke to Jack. She was my number one help and guide in this particular one because she's got a much better view of that circle. I went and spoke to my friend who'd shared his story with me. I cried out to God. I said, I've always defended it. I'm leading this church with people and it's just building and services and staff. And, but, but you've got to fill the center of my soul. And I'm working less now than I used to, but I feel it's more productive and more effective as that circle started to align because the misalignment was out of unbelief, not out of faith. My processing of my own emotions, I realized that part of the reason I hadn't always done that well was that when I was in my childhood for various reasons, I'd seen my dad interact with the world in a certain way and my mom in a different way and my mom had suffered on two occasions from severe mental health issues, from major depression, just two blocks. And in between was the most amazing, loving, caring, and kind mother. But on one of her challenges in the, when I was 12 years old, she was totally incapacitated. All five of us were sent off to relatives. I was sent off to boarding school. Our whole family was disintegrated for, nine, well, for about six or seven months. And as I've journeyed, I've, I've just moved forward from there and very grateful to God for all of his multiple blessings in so many ways, but I felt God looped me back to that. And stuff that happens when we, in our adolescent journey, often has got long last, more long-lasting effects than we realize. I felt him loop me back to those things and like bring about a slightly deeper healing than I'd experienced before. I've wept as I've journeyed through some of those thoughts and memories and I've said to God, I'm sorry for not experiencing life in its fullness like you wanted me to. Because of that, I've, tried to, I've just tried to keep things in the box. I've been overly controlled. I wasn't very good at being vulnerable with others. I was okay actually sharing a story from the microphone. But in one-on-one -on -one conversation, I wasn't very vulnerable. Everything was, this was like a coping mechanism. Just felt God tap on that. This is all stuff that sits in circle three. And I could go on and on and on. Because when we open up our hearts to God and we say, God, I want to become the best version of myself that you can be, uh, sorry, that you've made me to be, it's amazing how much truth he starts revealing. Because of my pride, because of lies I'd believed, 
and partially because I was the preacher on Sunday, so I was telling other people, this is what you should be believing. Somewhere in the, in the back of my head, I wasn't journeying as deeply as I should have been. It took a severe crisis. That's how doff I am. Severe crisis to revisit some of these things. But the, the end results of the learning haven't been me going into, I'm not sitting in a cave six months of the year just to find myself again. In fact, most of the challenge that I've found is that in my day-to-day -day rhythm, my weekly rhythm, is to learn to read all of my signals in a God-honoring way. Planning better in advance, seeing that there's gonna be energy sapping things coming up, so take some rest now in order for that recovery time afterwards, etc. In closing, I always thought that this kind of thinking and this kind of talk, whenever I heard people talk about health, I always in my heart interpret it as a very defensive posture. It's like, okay, you, really, you nearly reached death's door. You spent a week in ICU. Yeah, I could see why you're all skittish around this stuff. That was another part of the lie that I <laughs> believed. Is that actually God's wanting to make me have a better relationship with him, be more effective in my life here in the world, and in my case with my family, be more present for them. Because you can only, you, people catch what you are, not what you say you are. And with my empty buckets, I was oozing out unhealth in a lot of different ways. I'd like to finish off by reading Psalm 23, and then I'd love to spend a couple of minutes in response time between us and our maker. David came across this amazing truth. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Some versions of that verse say, I shall lack nothing. I'd like you to understand or take that phrase, just that line in view of those four buckets. If the Lord is my shepherd, he is shepherding me how to keep my buckets in the 80, 90, and 100% zone. I shall lack nothing, not because he divinely gives me a breakfast every morning, it's because he miraculously heals me, changes me, but then he enables me to live in health in all four of those energy centers. He enables me to be healed of the hurts of the past. He enables me to take responsibility for my feelings, for my actions, and for my life. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing because he helps me understand that I should love him with my physical strength and my mental strength to honor God with my mind, my brain, my problem solving, my thinking, to honor him with my feelings and my emotions, to honor him with my spiritual being. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. He makes me lie down. Sometimes I do that willingly, but if I won't listen, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. And those years of just depletion in those deep valleys, the shepherd never once left me go. He restored my soul, not by this, well, there was a miraculous healing in it, but for me, the far greater blessing was God helping me discover some of his truth about my world so that I can live with a soul that is in better health day by day by day. Not reaching the end of the year, absolutely depleted, desperate, desperate, desperate for a break, but constant daily health because he restores my soul. What an amazing thing that you and I don't just need to rely 
on other humans to figure this out, but the creator of our beings, the one who wired me together so fearfully and wonderfully that he is my shepherd and he's knocking out the things he doesn't want in my life and he's putting in there the things that he does want. He wants us to be more effective for his kingdom, reaching more people, planting more churches, doing all of that stuff. But he's also concerned that we do that in a healthy way. In other words, that we live in full health doing what he's called us to do. Would you stand together with me, please? My hope that is that tonight something in what I've said has triggered a thought process in you because you've got a different story to me. But hopefully there's something that is applicable to you that starts a journey with you and God. And maybe the most obvious question to ask is which bucket is the emptiest in your world at the moment? And what are the things that fill it? What are the things that are emptying it? And for us just to have a few minutes with the shepherd, talking to us, guiding us, giving us revelation about ourselves. But why don't we just spend a few minutes, eyes closed, just allowing God to restore our soul. Some of you might be really deep in the danger zone. Others may be doing well. Let's allow him to refresh us just for a, moment, a few minutes. putting those three circles back up again with those three numbers just as another application point in our prayer why don't you say to God God whatever's in part three stuff that I've believed that you don't believe please help me identify those 
He may reveal a couple of them to you right now. Father, our hearts are wide open to you. You're, you're gentle and kind and strong. There's a whole lot of stuff that gets into our brains and into our truth center that doesn't fully represent what you believe about us. Some of it might have been things that others have spoken over us. It might be related to traumatic events or just our own foolishness. We've made up some stuff. everything that's in circle one and two we want all of it we want to live with a deep revelation of who you are and how you've made us we want to look into your perfect mirror and see what we need to change and how we need to grow and what we need to adjust want to be marathonic for the rest of our lives serving you wholeheartedly really believe that there's some people here that part of what's in circle three in your head are labels that other people have put on you but God never wrote them out and today is wanting to take those labels off some parts of your soul he's rewrite he's rewritten your story already just we haven't believed it yet father we don't want to make up stuff about ourselves we want to look at you for your infilling Holy Spirit the energy that comes from you supernaturally and through living wisely we don't want to be the most tired out exhausted people on the planet we want to be joyful we want to live out of overflow not deficit help us to figure out what fills the buckets and what empties them. We can live a life of great through flow, compassion for others without getting fatigued, involved in your work without becoming exhausted. Help us, I pray. This is a lifetime journey, not a sprint. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for joining us today. Remember to go to ncmi.net for more resources.